You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. I'm Linnea Gviazda, and I will be co-hosting with Alison Burns for this episode of Dirty Feet. So we're here in uh, Victoria, British Columbia, sitting in uh, one of the studios at the Dance Victoria headquarters here um, with producer Stephen White, who has been the uh, Dance Victoria producer for 15 of its 18 years. Um, we're very honored to be sitting with you here, Stephen, and uh, looking forward to talking more about Dance Victoria, which is a real pillar of Victoria's dance community um, and has definitely helped grow the dance community into what it is today. So thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, thank you. Um, so maybe uh, if you can just give uh, listeners who might not know what Dance Victoria is a quick overview of what you do here at sure. Dance Victoria. Yeah. So, I mean, the most, probably the most... Um the uh, prominent thing we do or the thing that we're most known for is we do a presentation series um, of dance and we sell a subscription ticket as well as single tickets and we bring I would say mid to large scale uh, ballet and contemporary uh, companies to Victoria and we always have a production of Nutcracker uh, every year and so the companies uh, I would say you know they're, they're a little bit more mainstream than say some of uh, the presentation series when you're producing for a market, it's really important that you know what that market is. And I've had the good fortune to live in Victoria for 30 years, working in the nonprofit arts. And uh, so I feel like I know this audience pretty well. And uh, we definitely stretch them with uh, different performances. Like we've had Schwinard here. We've had Daniel Levaye. Um, we've had Kokoro Dance from Vancouver that remains still the most controversial show. And people talk about it. And it was 11 years ago. Um, but I would say, you know, our default position is uh, typically contemporary ballet or something in that uh, milieu or that genre. Uh, because the hall is a big hall, it's a 1,400-seat hall, uh, that kind of dictates the, the sort of production level that needs to come with the dance company. So we, uh, and increasingly we're programming international companies. So this year, uh, the whole season is international companies. In the last couple of years, We've also introduced a new contemporary uh, series that's uh, for smaller companies. It happens late January, early February. And um, that's been really exciting for me because a lot of the work that I see uh, in Canada and uh, other places is uh, smaller scale work with, you know, maybe four or five dancers or maybe even a duet. And I love like how inventive that movement can be and uh, the fresh approach. And But I've never really had a platform to showcase that work. So this new contemporary dance festival that takes place at the Metro Studio Theater, it's actually one of the fringe venues this year, seats about 185, um, is exciting for me. It, uh, so it's nice to have that in our repertoire. 
The other thing that we do is uh, we're sitting in one of the studios in a 12,000 square foot facility um, that has two other studios. So there's three studios in total. And uh, we are the landlord. So we hold the head lease, essentially. And uh, we have a, a long-term lease here. So we've made some improvements in the, since we got the lease in 2010. Upstairs in the uh, studios, we've installed uh, theater lighting and a grid and uh, performance quality sound. And we just recently purchased uh, seating risers so we can convert that space into an intimate performance space that seats about 100. But we also use it to host residencies. And so this year, for example, we have um, six different residencies, usually about two weeks long, hosting companies that come from out of town. Uh, that are doing creative residencies. In fact, today we have a showing at 5 o'clock of uh, Out Inner Space, a Vancouver company that's been in residence for two years. So at 5 o'clock they're showing what bits of work they've created thus far. Uh, the show won't premiere until 2016, but uh, and they'll probably be back in October 2015 for another residency here. So, of course, I love that. That's where my heart is to, uh, you know, assist and support the development of dance and uh, dance companies, find ways for those companies to interact with the local community as well. Often the companies will open their class or uh, they'll give a class while they're here for local dancers. Um, so we're doing a lot of uh, different sort of professional development work uh, locally and yeah, it's a lot to talk about. <laughs> Great, yeah. Um, so it, Dance Victoria was conceived 18 years ago, um, and you got on board with it as producer three years later. Um, what did it look like at that time? Well, my predecessor, uh, Doug Durand, he works in Vancouver, actually, in the at the city of Vancouver as a cultural officer there. Uh, he was a really smart guy. And so he was handling promotions for dance companies that were coming from out of town. They would, he was like the go-to guy. So the Royal Ballet would, you know, when they knew when they were coming to Victoria, would call Doug and say, you know, we need you to do our promotions for us. So after a few years of doing that in Victoria, he got this idea of what if I talked to those companies that come through here on a regular basis and said pool your resources and I'll put together a subscription series and we'll call it at the time Victoria Dance Series. And uh, so he was able to, you know, convince like the Royal Winnipeg Ballet, Ballet BC, uh, Ballet Jazz de Montréal, and a couple of other companies that when they came to Victoria, they would, you know, contribute to a subscription campaign. And that's how it started. So the first three years, it was fairly modest. Um, it was like maybe three companies, one to two performances each, and it was packaged and sold as uh, as a series. Then when I came into the position, um, actually Doug had lined up the season for the year that I was coming in. I knew nothing about dance. I came from the world of theater. And uh, at the time, I was like Doug. I was handling promotions for theater companies and stuff that were coming through town. And this was a modest little contract. And I thought, oh, great. You know, I'll learn about dance in the first year. And then I'll be able to, you know, uh, talk to the dance companies when they're coming through. So Doug had it all set up. And he left. And three days later, Le Grand Ballet Canadien phoned me. This was in May. And they said, oh, we've canceled our Western Canada tour. Uh, 
So suddenly I was left with a hole. There was only two companies for that season, and that did not make a series. So I actually went to Linda Reno um, because uh, she, you know, has long been recognized as sort of the the mother of modern dance in uh, Victoria. Huge contribution to this community with her studio and her own work. And uh, she had a friend in Montreal that was, you know, putting together a project. And so we brought them out. And it was our first experience as an organization actually presenting a company where we were taking the risk at the box office. And uh, unfortunately, it was a huge success. So (laughs) that meant, oh, this is easy. We could do this. So then I would say over the next three or four years, as the... uh, presentation series grew we uh, less and less were we involved with companies that bought our services and more and more uh, it was me that was selecting companies to be on a season curating a season essentially so that's you know where the that's really when the growth started to happen and uh, I've been really fortunate to be here for 15 years to bring it you know to the place where it is today in terms of the residencies, I'm curious about uh, the kind of specific characteristics that the residencies offered by Dance Victoria. I, it comes to mind as I'm thinking about the the creation of her body and light that that you know Stephanie and Linnea had the chance to go to Parsboro and kind of how the uh, atmosphere of the place they were in affected so much the kind of work that they ended up creating. And just looking at the the names like Wenwei Dance that you have that have that have come here for their residencies, um, can you speak at all to to what specifics are are offered for for companies and residents here? Sure. So I would say you know we're pretty hands off in terms of I'm not in the studio and I don't profess to have any um, because I'm not trained in the dance field. Um, so. I'm not that kind of empresario that's going to come in and, oh, no, you've got it all wrong, you know. Um, what we do is we obviously provide the studio space. If they need a technician, if they want to play a little bit with lighting, we will arrange that as well. Um, we take care of their accommodation, and uh, we typically we ask them to either, if it's a larger company, like we've had Toronto Dance Theatre in residence, and we've had Ballet BC in residence, And so in those circumstances, if it's a larger company like that, we'll ask them to open their morning class, and we offer that for free to the local dance community. And then there's always some kind of showing involved where we bring our patrons to the studio, and they get to see the work in development. They get to talk to the artists, ask questions, and there's a reception afterwards where they mingle with the dancers and kind of um, demystifies process for the general public. And we've built a really strong core of support around that. You know, tonight we're doing this showing about an inner space, as I said earlier, and we have about 40 of our core supporters coming to um, participate, to watch it and to meet those dancers. Um, So I kind of get out of the way of the resident company. I just want to make the conditions as good as possible while they're here. I'd love in the, in you know, as the residencies develop over time and we get more and more resources, I'd love to do more extended residencies where 
if there is uh, if an artist is investigating something where it makes sense for them to monitor a university course or to bring an expert from the community in to work with them in the studio that we were, would be able to provide it in that way. I love that kind of model, just making as many resources as possible. But that is, you know, is a residency beyond two weeks, say. I think what most artists that have been through a residency in Victoria point to is that um, it's it's like a chance for them to escape their daily life and their routine and, you know, not run off to the barista job or, you know, be answering um, their telephone. And so the, the people are often, artists are often really surprised about how much work they get accomplished when they're in Victoria because it's, you know, it's removed enough that um, it's like a little retreat in a way. And are your... your you mentioned that you have a smaller season as, or a smaller series as well. Do you also offer kind of resources for, for smaller companies uh, or, or individuals who want to use the space or, or take courses or anything like that? Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, we make inco- income off of the studios. We rent them to um, local dance teachers and studios. We have one primary tenant that offers a range of classes for, you know, four-year-olds to 20-year-olds in all of the genres. Um, and they, you know, you, they use up a lot of studio time. We have swing classes here. We have Zumba fitness <laughs> and all of that stuff, and that pays the rent. But um, typically, you know, in the daytime, we're sitting in a studio and no one's in the studio. Of course, it's the end of summer as well. But you know, that's where we have the freedom that we can say to an artist, come and be in residence here. Um, the smaller series that you're talking about, um, it's a really interesting thing, the way it's uh, evolved. So we do a community-wide event in January, and it's called Dance Days. We couldn't think of a better name. So we went out the first year and said, we'll call it Dance Days, and then next year we'll rename it. <laughs> but unfortunately... <laughs> Unfortunately, dance day stuck. So we're now going into our sixth dance days. What we do is in late September, we contact all the local studios and ask them to participate by offering some free classes for adults. So it's we're really interested in reaching the 20 to 35-year-old female. So, uh, you know, last year we had like 65 free classes that were for beginner and intermediate students. And really it's uh, to provide the general public an opportunity to sample dance and have a firsthand experience with it. We do that while we've got a company in residence. So this year in January, it will be the 605 Collective from Vancouver. They'll be in residence here. And then we have um, performances that we added, uh, this uh, contemporary series that we run at the same time. And uh, so that'll be over two weekends and one week, so it's two and a half weeks long. So Wen Wei will be premiering a new work that uh, he's created with uh, Beijing Modern Dance. Um, We'll have Jacques Poulain-Denis here with uh, James Nam. They have a really fantastic show that's two solos, Jacques Solo and James Solo. Um, and then we have a really special evening um, at the beginning of the festival that will feature five solos, one from a ballet BC dancer, two from uh, ODC, San Francisco company that are on our series. They'll be dancing solos. 
We have one local choreographer, Connie Cook, who has a solo. And then Josh, Josh Martin from 605 has a solo that he'll perform. And so that evening will actually take place in our studios upstairs, very intimate. It's going to be a special evening because... You know, you're never going to see that combination of dancers t- together again, and it's only for one night. I, what I've been doing for probably 10 years or more is when we have a company in residence like 605, and we have all of this stuff going on, is I bring a group of dance presenters uh, from across the country to Victoria. And so we augment all of that programming that I'm talking about by doing studio showings during the day of different artists completely like the only um, production value they have is a is a cd or playback Uh, there's no lighting there's no costume and it's a very informal thing we invite the general public we invite the presenters they come into the studio and they watch a section of work that's in development and the artist talks about the the work and what their plans are for it and then we have like lunches a party we do uh, they're here you know they're one of our main stage shows odc from san francisco is performing at that time and it's this really it's it's my favorite days of the year when my presenter colleagues are here because it's really a conversation about art and artists that we don't often have you know Often when presenters get together, we're more interested in talking about the business of presenting and what are your marketing initiatives and what do you do to get young people into, you know. And so this is really a chance to to watch work, talk to those artists, celebrate with them, and talk to each other. And uh, we've always got a roundtable or a forum that takes place where the presenters can engage with the public. And uh, it's a very special time. So, wow! I had no idea of the the national and international influence and and role that Dance Victoria plays. That's very exciting. And speaking a bit about uh, marketing, because you bring in so many diverse companies, uh, everything from Royal Winnipeg Ballet to uh, Marie Chouinard, and and when I have been to uh, Dance Victoria shows. I've always been struck by the diversity of uh, one audience to the next. So the kind of demographic of of the audience that's attending one show might be very different from the demographic attending another. And so, how do you connect to to all of those different types of people within within your one uh, kind of set of uh, programming? Uh, you know, we give a lot of thought uh, to who will this. Uh, performance resonate with who does it speak to and then we spend some time thinking about how do we reach them to let them know what it is that we're bringing and um, so I think that really kind of focused and targeted marketing has worked well for us we know who our core subscriber is you know we we have her address because we've got that database that, you know, when a person buys a ticket, they have to provide their address. So we've got that data. We know what neighborhood she lives in. And the reason I'm using the feminine pronoun is because, you know, if you looked at our database, you'd see that almost 75% of the audience, the ticket buyers, are women. We know that she's between 50 and 70 years old. We know that she owns her own home, that she's university educated, that her children, if they haven't left home, they're very close to leaving home, that she's working part-time or is uh, soon to be retired. 
or is retired. We know that she comes to the theater with her husband or her boyfriend, or she brings her daughter. And often what's really thrilling is to see her there with her mother and her daughter. So three generations of women. I think the thing that uh, resonates for me with um, with that, that audience or something that I heard, um, I can't substantiate, but I heard within the last five years or so on a radio program, I think, that said that 70% of women in BC had taken dance class at some point in their life. So that means to me that 70% of the women had a moment where they dreamed of being a ballerina or they went to you know, or they dreamed of being a contemporary dancer, and whether they kept it up or not, they've been touched by that experience of dance, and so they're more, you know, they're more likely to attend a dance performance. So we know where the core audience is, we know what we want in terms of the new audience and growing that audience. So, yeah, it's just about targeting, understanding who it is that's coming to the theater and who it is that you want to come to the theater. And providing such a, a wide range of, of different works, too. And um, something that, that you've done more recently is allowing uh, the subscribers to choose which performances they actually want to attend rather than having to subscribe for the entire series. There's more of a picking and choosing of, of the shows. Um, and I find that that's, it's a very a nice way to personalize your experience as an audience member and kind of understanding what you want to see, but also allowing yourself to take some risks, too. Um, I definitely remember doing that with my mom So when I would attend those shows. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to give people the... You know, the other thing, I mean, it's on a really practical basis is uh, a lot of people in this town go away in March, or you know they're headed down to uh, Mexico or Hawaii, and so it's really difficult to sell a season that you know has a date in the middle of it that they know they're going to be away. So that's part of the reason as well that we've made it as flexible as possible. One of the other programs I'm really excited about. We just launched it last year because we're we've always been thinking about discounted tickets for kids in studios or university students. So we stole this idea from an American theater company, but we've got a program now called Pay Your Age, which is uh, for 12 to 29-year-olds. So they just phone the box office. We we have a limited number of tickets that we release 3 weeks before the performance. And they phone the box office, say, I'm 12. They'll pay 12 on their credit card or their mom's credit card. And then they show their ID when they go down and pick up the ticket. And they get best seat in the house for whatever their age is. And that's worked really nicely. What I loved about it in the first year was to see the number of people between the ages of 20 and 29 that were taking advantage of it. Because prior to that, we didn't really have a program for that age group. And so I was never sure if that age group was not coming to the theater as much as other age groups because the programming didn't appeal to them. So last year when we ran it for the first time, it affirmed for me, no, it's not the programming, it's the price. You know, and in fact, that age group is interested in what we're doing, but it's just been too expensive for them. 
I'm, I'm still in awe of this this opportunity that you've offered with the, all the free classes that are available. What has been the response to those? Do people come out in, in droves and you have to turn them away, or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the class, but yes, absolutely, that's been the experience every year. There's at least, you know, a dozen classes that are filled to capacity, and uh and we try to squeeze in as many people as possible. But then there are some that are less attended. And every year we take a look at what the stats are for each one of the classes because we keep a record of of the attendance for all the classes. And, uh, and then we modify, you know, how we... So essentially what happens is in September we ask the studios to present us with ideas what they you know want to do in their studio and then we're a little bit selective about you know because we're focused really on that 20 to 35 year old so we have to think about what's appealing to her and uh so there's sometimes you know uh we feel like the the youth dancer young dancer is so well served by the studios in victoria that there's no point in us offering free classes because they're already registered for classes so, yeah, that's how it works. The other really exciting thing I haven't talked about, which is part of the reason that we're seeing more international um, relationships built in Victoria, is we have um, an annual prize. A woman that uh, was a supporter of Dance Victoria passed away a few years ago and less, left our organization a big whack of money in trust and so the proceeds, the interest that that money earns every year, we because this was her wish, we've turned it into a dance prize. And it's open to Western Canadian dancers that are working with international dancers. It was really this woman's desire that Canadian dancers have an exchange or a dialogue with um, other dancers or choreographers outside of the country and have that experience. And... Um, so this year, you know, the prize is $28,000. And so we uh, accept applications. You have to be a dance artist that lives in Western Canada because this woman didn't like Eastern Canada. <laughs> so if you have an address, you know, from Manitoba West um, and you... Um, and you have a project in mind with, uh, you know, with another artist or even a company or whatever, uh, you know, we we accept your submissions and then we put it to f in front of a panel, and uh, they make a decision and we support, you know, projects. Thus far, we've had, and we also include a residency at, at Dance Victoria with that international artist. Uh, so you know, we've had projects with South Korea. China with Wen Wei, uh, Brazil coming up with uh, DJ, DJD in uh, Calgary, uh, Italy, um, and we're bringing a, a German uh, choreographic coach to Victoria in February to work with uh, two local dance collectives in an immersive process for a couple of uh, weeks. So increasingly, we're kind of casting beyond actually Canada and uh, looking for interesting international projects. Forgive my naivete in this next question. Vancouver's the next on our list, so we haven't been there yet. We haven't really taken the temperature and gotten to speak to people there. Um, but it does surprise me, kind of understanding that it is Dance Hub, to hear you speak so little of it. Uh, what is? How do you feel about uh, Vancouver and its relationship to the, the dancing in Victoria? 
oh, what's happening in Vancouver is fantastic. You know, 605, Out Inner Space, Amber Funk Barton, of course, Crystal, Pite, and Wen Wei. It's a very exciting culture there. And I think, um, although you'll, you, you may talk to people in Vancouver that don't agree with this, I think the dance center plays a really huge role in, uh, in the milieu in Vancouver. And they've brought exciting artists in. They've offered residencies and exchanges. And uh, so I think, you know, they, they are central. We have um, this German uh, coach that we're bringing to Victoria. It's a partnership with the dance center. So she'll also work in uh, Vancouver with some artists there. Um, yes. And, you know, when I was talking about having the presenters here and showing works in studio is primarily Vancouver artists that we bring over to show that work to. So it's kind of got a West coast, uh, influence. And largely that's because, um, in Victoria, there is, there is an interesting, uh, dance scene that's beginning to evolve, but we're a smaller center. And so often I think, uh, dance artists know I'm going to get, you know, shot in the foot but often dance artists that have uh, career aspirations have to leave victoria because it's really difficult to make a, a living as a dance artist in a community of this size but we do have a few that you know are teaching dance classes and that do come together and uh, create projects from time to time and um, we support those folks by giving them free access free access to the studios and support for their shows and and so you uh, you talked about kind of connecting to the to the dance studios in Victoria and and sort of um, uh, t- uh, connecting with the students and and um, how do you relate to those those studios and and bringing them into this kind of wider international community is there um uh other than the the pay pay your age and stuff like that are there are there more programs through dance victoria for these like young uh dancers to be more exposed to uh international dance and and national dance you know, primarily it it's not enough, but it primarily it's through master classes. So, you know, um, it's in the contracts that we write with all of the companies that we bring to our main stage program that they have to offer a master class. And so then we offer that um, locally for free. Um, again, someone that uh, passed away a few years ago left us some money so that we could have uh, free master classes on a local level. I think there's, a, you know, there is some work that we could do um, with the dance studios that we haven't had the capacity to do thus far. I mean, I'm really happy with Dance Days that we have at least that relationship with the local dance studios. Um, it's a question of, you know, staff resources and time, really. Uh, we're pretty, despite everything I've described, there's actually only three people in the office. And um, so when... It's it's often surprising when folks who have, you know, been to our shows come to the office for this first time and they say, this is where you work? Like, there's only four desks here <laughs> and there's three of us there. So um, I'd like to explore other ways of really engaging locally. I think most of my colleagues across the country that are involved in dance presentation that you go into it initially thinking, oh, well, look at, like, there's 35 local studios, and that's our audience. We can bring that audience into, or their parents, or... But there's a big disconnect between, I've found over the years, 
between the studios that are really kind of focused on the local competition every year and getting prepared for their spring recital and the competition that there are exceptions where you know a young person that's taking dance has a wider kind of perspective and a bigger vision and they do engage and they come and take advantage of the the cheaper prices that we offer through pay your age but often they're just really focused on you know the group that they're with that are going to compete in the upcoming festival um, so it's it's interesting it should be more related but it's not as related as we'd like well i think that uh, dance victoria had a big part in in bringing me uh to montreal definitely on a personal note so i think you definitely are uh reaching some of those kids <laughs> maybe not all of them but <laughs> definitely some of them i'm one of those ones <laughs> so um back to you coming from a background that wasn't initially dance related um and then you've basically made this your your work for the past 15 years and been very dedicated to to dance um how did you uh how did that come about? How did you fall in love with it and decide to stick with it in this way? You know, I read as much as I possibly could when I had that first experience of, oh my God, I don't have a season. I know nothing. I started reading. I joined uh, the Can Dance Network, which is the association of dance presenters across Canada. And I went to those meetings and soaked up as much as I possibly could. In the first couple of years that I was at CanDance, they were talking about artists I'd never heard of. I made a point of seeing as much dance as I possibly could, and along the way, just fell in love with the art form. And in fact, now, I mean, even though I trained as an actor, I spent several years as a playwright and a director, um, and working in the professional theater, I find it really hard to sit through theater <laughs> anymore because there's so many words and it's it's so in the head and the thing you know I admire dancers and they're for me because I didn't come through the studios and I don't didn't have that discipline training that dancers have had there's still a there's still a mystery for me in how the choreographic process happens you know where the inspiration comes from and how that's communicated to a group of dancers. And so I think as long as that mystery is there and it's, 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 you know, because I think it's a mystery even for people that are immersed in the art form, how an idea is generated or the excitement when something happens in the studio that nobody predicted. Um, I think that's what keeps me fascinated with it. And it's, you know, my position is really a very privileged position to be working with artists, looking at art, selecting art for my community to be a part of, introducing them in the studio to process. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a dream job, actually. In this role of producer, as you're making these choices, uh, you know, uh, for, for the community and artistic choices, and I, I imagine you also have to think about the finances of things and, and the success or not of, of a production. Do you find that those um, decisions are ever in conflict when you're, when you're deciding on a programming or, or a direction to go in? You know, I would say um, 
this community has been very generous with me. They've let me uh, falter, you know, so there have been some seasons, I would say, that were, you know, less strong than other seasons where I've made a programming choice that later I've thought, what was I doing, you know? Um, so in that way, Victoria's been very generous. They've been with me as I get it right. Um, I think what has come, you know, it's become more focused and clearer to me in the last five or six years because, as I said earlier, the venue dictates a certain kind of size of company and production value. And so I'm looking, you know, I, I know where to look in terms of that kind of touring company. And now with the smaller scale contemporary series, I can also be engaged on that other level that has been exciting to me, but that I never had an opportunity to bring to Victoria. And, you know, and I do think that, you know, it's half commerce and half art, you know, what I do in terms of we are reliant on box office sales. Um, So I do have to program with a view to does this reach a broader audience? And then, you know, the question is still there is, is it worthwhile presenting? Like, you know, I could present... Uh, really commercial shows but is that really is it saying anything about the art form and then I think the other thing is that I finally you know just in the last few years come into a position where this local audience trusts what that what I'm going to bring so in spite of the fact they may not have heard of these companies they know it's going to be of a certain caliber and uh, they've learned to trust that. So that's very privileged to have that relationship. We've been uh, sitting down here with Stephen White, the producer of Dance Victoria. Um, Dance Victoria is about to go into its 18th season here in Victoria, British Columbia, bringing diverse range of dance performance, um, residencies for artists, master classes and and continuing to uh to bring life to this incredible dance community here in victoria bc so thank you so much for sharing all that with us Stephen, and uh for sitting down with us today well thank you it was great to meet you and i'm looking forward to seeing your show on sunday <laughs> thank you <laughs> Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theatre. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par... Produced and hosted by Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com, follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet, and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou... Vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast. Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.